Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. We are uh, recording, what day is it? Wednesday night. <laughs> uh, it's so weird, like Florida hadn't played on a Tuesday yet. So um, yeah, that was the what day is it? It's not the disoriented week before, week between Christmas and New Year's disoriented. What day is it? Um, but anyway, uh, Wednesday night show with my man, Eric Fawcett. How are you, dude? Oh, I'm doing well. Just came off a game with my prep, got a couple games. Uh, so we're recording this also late tonight. So thank you, Neil, for being accommodating. Of I know course. you were at a game, a game tonight that you might want to talk about, but it's also funny that you mentioned that the Gators played on a Tuesday, just because I was just, you know, scrolling the Ken Palm and seeing that you can pretty much set your uh, calendar to the Gators. Cause I think until the end of February, it's Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. So, um, yeah, so if you can kind of uh, it's it's I don't mind the 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 early game mixed in just because it seems to like balance out the uh, sometimes it's like oh you're waiting all the way till Wednesday oh you get a Gators game on Tuesday so we don't hate that schedule at all so uh, <laughs> yeah change changed up a little bit maybe we'd be uh, complaining about it if if the Gators lost but they didn't but uh, yeah so we're coming to you uh, late Wednesday night um, so where uh, you were at a game tonight Neil so where where were where were you watching. Yeah, man. Um, so yeah, started the the Ben Chase inspired 100 basketball games in one calendar year. Um, college, I'm not pro games aren't going to count, so I will not probably be attending any NBA this year. I usually make it to a game or two, but there won't be any NBA for me. Uh, to be 100 college basketball games and game one, I felt like the right move was um, like I knew I was going to do this a couple weeks ago, and I feel like the right move is either a Florida game first uh, or something that has a connection to Florida. And Radford um, and Darius Nichols were just down the road, 30 minutes from me at Winthrop um, tonight. So I went over there, got to see Brian Antoine, uh, former, you know, huge recruit uh, that Darius Nichols was in charge of recruiting to Florida drop a career high. He looked healthy. He looked bouncy. I was so happy to see him play and look like he was having fun at a big road win for Radford at Winthrop tonight. So that was a good time, Eric. Yeah, that's great. I, I love that you're doing that. I mean, it's awesome that you now live in, in a place where you have access to so many divisions. Like, I think it'd probably be a little tougher to do that in, in South Florida, unless you'd be force feeding yeah. yourself. <laughs> Florida, done it. Florida international games. Um, so definitely, uh, I, I think it's just amazing. Like, I know you absolutely love college basketball. And this is uh, something that, uh, yeah, you, you pursue the things you love and you see 100 games in, in a year that's outstanding and uh shout out to ben chase turning you know parlaying a uh, incredible journey into uh what seems to be his dream job so maybe we should have him yeah. i don't know I, well actually now that he's in his position i don't know how much i got a podcast he'll be doing but um yeah i was able to talk to him a little bit on it you know when he was just driving a whole bunch was like hey man if you, you need someone to give me a, give you a call while you're on the road so I, I i love ben i think it's uh i think it's great for him and uh um I think it's uh, it's cool. You also got to see uh, see Darius in his uh, you know as he builds things up a little bit in bit in year two. But uh, yes, as much as we'd love to do the 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 low major checkup here all the time on the podcast, <laughs> I'm sure there's uh, people here to talk Gators. So, but hey, I but people better know that the updates from Neil on the games he goes to that they'll 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 come on the podcast because could just because I want to hear them. I hope everyone yeah. enjoys the journey. Yeah, game two this weekend um, at Zach Tech Arena. Might have heard of uh, a little game between Florida and number 20, Missouri. Um, a brief a brief stay at number 20 for Missouri based on what's going down tonight. 
uh, in their game against the Texas A&M Aggies. We will get to the Tigers of Missouri. In a moment, we have to talk about another set of Tigers, the ones that Florida played on Tuesday. We also have to talk about Mike White's return to, to Gainesville. So we got two games to cover tonight. Um, first things first, though, we do have our Patreon up and running. Um, I'm going to do better at, at kind of tweeting all this out, but I want people to know that at patreon.com slash Florida BB hour, uh, you can join our Patreon. Uh, we have two tiers. There's the six man club. So that's going to be a tier where you get uh, the newsletter. You're going to get some patron shout outs, which we're going to start on a podcast very soon. Not tonight because we got too much to do. Um, and so you get a newsletter and then you get these buzzer beater, quick take, hot takes uh, from from really basically we're going to rotate. So it'll be Eric or me after the buzzer very quickly with three takes on the game. Um, get a lot of feedback from our current subscribers about those. It's all very positive. So appreciate y'all um, listening. And then we have our uh, Rowdy Reptiles Never Graduate tier, which is the lower tier. Um, you won't get the quick take buzzer beaters, but you'll get everything else. So uh, anyway, one's $3 a month. The other is $5 a month. Um, I hope you guys join and we appreciate, uh, of course, all of your support. Yeah, we again, I just think it's amazing. And like, it, it, it's weird. Like, it's, and I know this is going to sound like pretty funny, but it, it, I guess it's just one of the things like, it's just like an insecurity I have. But like, there's some times when we're recording the podcast and like, I honestly think to myself, I wonder if anyone is going to listen to this. And it's not like, a, it's not like a joke. It's just like, like, and, and some people will know that like, before getting into basketball writing or even during my early years, like I used to be a musician traveling mostly Canada playing music. And like, I know what it's like to like set up a concert and have like literally no one show up. And maybe that's, what's like broken my brain, but like there's times that I'm writing an article and I truly think, will anyone ever read this? Or I do a podcast with Neil and I'm like, wonder if anyone will ever listen to this. And it's like, I know people do listen because I know the numbers, but it's like, I don't know. It's just like an insecurity I have. So to then see that people are willing to spend money to support us, like that really means the world. And I know that we've worked really hard on this for, for free for, you know, four and a half years. And um, we'll continue to make the bulk of the work we do free on, on the podcast. Um, so, you know, if you choose to, to never support us on Patreon, like, Hey, you're going to keep getting a lot of good stuff. So it just makes me like that much more grateful for the people who are willing to spend money because, um, again, it's not like we're sending you a bunch of free stuff or anything. It's, it's, I think that people who are subscribing are doing it largely due to, you know, the goodness of their heart and just like, you know, supporting the work we do. So I, I, it really does mean, mean so much to me and Neil. And, um, I hope that, you know, it means a lot to you, <laughs> to you listening. Cause if you're listening to this, um, the people that have chose to support us are, you know, the, the engine that are going to, you know, kind of keep this going. So, um, that's pretty great. I mean, when we first uh, decided to go Patreon, we were, um, also just kind of thinking of some like fun stuff we could do for, for people who subscribe. So one of the things that I'm going to do, we don't have a date set for it, but I, I think this is going to be like, I think this is a good idea, but honestly, Hey, we're willing to do whatever uh, people who support us on Patreon want, but I, I think this is a good, good idea. Maybe it's way too nerdy, but for our Patreon subscribers at some point, we have not set a date. We are going to do a live over zoom or streaming some, some form of video chat. We are going to do Gators film night and it is going to be unquestionably the nerdiest Florida basketball piece of media that has ever occurred in the history of Florida basketball media. You guys are going to jump on a zoom with me. I'm going to open synergy or various film 
tools and mm-hmm. analytics tools and we're going through the film we're grinding like we, and you're going to get to see what it like what division one staffs are looking at um so again i will i will show you essentially what does it look like to be on a division one staff scouting a team so if that sounds cool to you um and you are a subscriber like let me know because i don't want to like do it and then find out that no one wants to do it but i think it's a good idea so um if you want to just like be part of um, that experience to know what it's like to be in like a film session of, of a division one program or just what it's like to, you know, go through that kind of process. I think it'll be cool. Um, and uh, I'm also trying to pressure Neil as well into doing a little bit of something like that, where he shows um, the prep he does for a show or a prep he does for an article. Cause Neil is so much more thorough than I am preparing for shows. <laughs> like whenever we see a stat, it's so I would love for, so I'm also, you know, pressuring you Neil as well. I'm now publicly on the podcast, peer pressure you. <laughs> Um, to also do one where you go through your process and people can see uh, um, what goes into making the podcast, um, what goes into our game preparation, everything like that. So again, no date set for that at all, but we um, just want to know that that's on, on the radar. If that sounds like a good idea to you and your Patreon supporter, let us know because we'll make the film day happen. And um, if you're interested in doing that, you uh, might have to join our Patreon. But um, anyways, Patreon supporters or not, we are so happy you're here to listen. We're so thankful for you. And uh I did my first three, actually going back to one more thing. The other thing about these thoughts at the buzzer is like, it's very like unfiltered because we are literally recording like yeah. right after the game. And because it's like only for our Patreon subscribers, I think there's a little bit of like caddedness that even the podcast doesn't offer yeah. um, necessarily. So like, yeah, it's, it's some, some unfiltered takes coming in strong and hard and like, it's crazy. I mean, they're, they're, they're pretty quick, you know, five, six, seven ish minutes. And, uh, but man, it goes, uh, it goes fast when you're just, you know, ranting after a game. So, um, people have been enjoying those a lot so far. Um, so they will, they will continue as well. But anyways, that's, uh, we just realized that, uh, there's a couple of people who just, you know, were regular listeners who were like, Oh, I didn't realize you're on a Patreon. We're like, Oh, like we should maybe talk about it a little bit more and, and let people know uh, the opportunities that are there. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's all my takes, Neil, unless you got anything more to say on that. No, man, that's it. And I like the idea of just kind of transitioning from the candidness of the quick take hot take, cause that's a great point, um, to Georgia. Because, you know, my number one on the Patreon was winning is hard. <laughs> like, you know, I think I think that as coaches, and I don't know about you, Eric, but like as coaches, one of the things that's hard is to tell kids. Um, and I know, you know, Eric, especially because Eric, I know how I've been working with Eric for years now. So analytically, I know how his mind works. And like, it is difficult to tell kids, Hey, you've got to execute. You got to do this, but like, you know, the why of doing it is to win. And it is so difficult to explain that to young people. Um, and I don't think that Florida having gone own seven against Ken Palm, hundred top hundred teams when they are quite candidly more talented than about a little more than half the sec, to be honest, um, you know, they should not have been 0-7 against Ken Palm top 100 teams. But winning games is hard to do. And I do think if you wanted one super positive from the Florida-Georgia game, it, it's the obvious one that not only did Florida win a game when they were down 13 points in the first half, but um, they kind of did it because they they do best, which is just great defense for the last 30 minutes of the game, Eric. Yeah. And that's got to be like just an overarching thought about Florida basketball, like whenever we talk about it. So there's, I, I don't think we need like a grand entrance to this point, but like 
the Gators have found their identity and it's like a team that is, you know, defense first, second, and third. Um, the offense is again, even despite the fact they put, put up some raw point totals on Georgia, the half court offense is still a struggle and a grind, but their defense has been spectacular and it seems to still be getting better. And, uh, that's it, it's it's one thing that I think we struggled with early in the season as the Gators were bad. It was that they were bad offensively and they're bad defensively and to lack that identity. I mean, that's really concerning uh, what the Gators have gotten with these last two games. I know we're talking Georgia right now, but it definitely started with or was, you know, punctuated with a, a win at Georgia was that like, I do think this team has an identity and that is on the defensive side of the basketball. And even when they were able to put up points, it was largely due to the fact that their defense was so stout that they were forcing bad shots and getting out and running, or of course getting steals and getting into transition. But it was like, everything started from their defense. Um, and uh, if you're looking for like an encouragement that started from, from that Georgia win, I would say it's um that this team and, and you get to see it kind of carry through through another game. It's that this team has an identity. And, and I think that that's something that is a definite positive from what we were dealing with early in the season. Yep. No, absolutely. And honestly, um, not to, I guess it's kind of appropriate that they played Georgia because I'll just come and say it. They have an identity for the first time in a couple seasons. Now we don't know where that's going to take them. Uh, I mean, right now you heard Rocco Miller, right? Like they've got a lot of work to do. Uh, to get even in the bubble conversation. I think before the Georgia game, they were either before or after they were like 29 team out on Bark Tordic. Um, I don't know which one it was, but it wasn't great. Uh, but they do have a defensive identity. Let me put Eric on the spot statistically because I don't ever do this. So this is, this will be fun. Florida has a, a per hoop lens and I Synergy does a very similar thing. So we just use like two similar services. Synergy just has more video. And Hooplens is like data point after data point after data point. So Florida has um, four defenders in points per possession rating that grade out as excellent. Eric, who do you think those four players are? That's just Hooplens. I don't know what the synergy number is, but for perspective, Florida had two last year: Niles Lane, who doesn't play for this team, and Colin Castleton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I actually haven't looked at, at Synergy for their um, individual numbers at all, but I will have to guess Con Castleton will once again be there. I would guess um, Will Richard. I would guess, I mean, it's almost like, you know, if, if they have four, I mean, they essentially have eight <laughs> players in their rotation. Um, though, who knows? It's going to be surprising, but I will say, anyways, I, I will stop kicking the can here. I will say, I'll say Will Richard. I'll say Con Castleton. I'll say Kyle Lofton and I'll say Kawasi Reeves. Okay, so How you bad got did I do? no, you did great. You got three of the four. Okay, it's okay. Colin, it is Colin Castleton, Alex Fudge. Okay, Kawasi Reeves and Kyle Lofton. Hmm. Um, so those four are grayed out as excellent in PPP rating, um, for the Gators only. Um, and to kind of put a, put an exclamation point on just how good Florida is defensively right now, the only players that hoops lens grades out as average or worse are Riley Kugel, who they grade out as below average Myron Jones, who grades out as average, but to be fair to him was below average four games ago and Trayvon. Everyone else is somewhere between good, very good, and excellent, which are the grades that um, 
both synergy and uh, hoop hooplins use. And would you would you say that that matches your eye test, Neil? Everything but Will Richard matches my eye test. Um, and I do I think that's a good time to get into like a little bit of Myron Jones with Georgia because I thought like we saw and people are going to want to hear about the LSU game and we're going to get into that because the road win is more interesting than beating Mike White at home um, or Mike White blowing a double digit lead and it's Zach Arena. I mean, we've all seen that many a time, right? Um, <laughs> uh, sorry, Mike, that was mean. Um, no, like so Myron. Here's what I think about Myron Jones' improved defense. And I'm not going to hate on Myron Jones on this podcast anymore uh, for 10 games. I'm imposing a 10-game hate wow. on Myron Jones. A suspension on myself. Self-imposed. Okay? Wow. A self-imposed Myron Jones hating suspension. But it comes with the caveat that I get to say this. I also think some of it is that Florida is more is not playing the most athletic teams right now. Like Auburn, with all due respect, like we are thinking of Jabari Smith and, you know, those types of teams. They're not that athletic this year. They're just not. Like Katie Johnson is, but there aren't a lot of bouncy dudes on that team. They have a bunch of mid-major guards, man. Georgia, like Cario Okendo is athletic, but like Terry Roberts is not an elite athlete. He's just a good basketball player, right? Like they don't – Braylon Bridges is a pretty good athlete, but like Myron isn't guarding him. So, you know, not a real athletic team. Um, Texas A&M, not a very athletic team, respectfully. Like, physical, but different than being athletic. LSU, they, they have some athletes. Like, Derek Fountain is an athlete. I mean, he might be an athlete more than he's a basketball player. But, you know, again, not a guy that Myron's matching up with. So, it'll be interesting to see if this Myron Jones like improvement on that end can sustain itself when Florida plays the more athletic teams in the league, Eric. I mean, honestly, Neil, I think the IARP might have to look into your self-imposed ban and, and maybe give out some different uh, penalties. Cause I don't know if I, I'm interested to see if you can last <laughs> this, uh, <laughs> this, this, uh, as we, as, as we know, with the way that rulings are laid down, um, I don't know if you'll last 10 games, but we'll we'll find out. He has, he has hey, he has played two good games of basketball. We will absolutely yeah. do that. Um, I think that's a great point. Um, and it was almost leading into something I was going to say about the the one thing I would say that like maybe doesn't match. Or the one thing about Will Richard to consider, and I will also say Alex Fudge factors into this. Um, I still remember in the call, or sorry, not college, in the analytics world, um, the first time where like strength of like matchup data was available in the NBA. And uh, it was when, you know, Andrew Wiggins was getting killed early in his career for being awful defensively. And he was, you know, he's known to Kansas as a good defense player, goes to the NBA. Suddenly everyone's just like, wow, this guy sucks defensively. He can't guard. And then it kind of found out that like, oh, he has the toughest matchup assignments in the entire league. And right. I would also say when we look at this, if you're going to look at that Will Richard number, I don't think Will Richard has been outstanding defensively like he is was maybe billed, but I do think he gets the most difficult matchups, especially when the Gators start Trey Bonham and Kyle Lofton and Will Richard. Will Richard's getting the most talented perimeter player every single time. So I do think that's pro that's something that has to be factored in. And I'll also say like how many teams his best player is at the four offensively. Not a lot. And I do think that for that reason, a lot of times power forwards have their individual defensive numbers 
a little higher because oftentimes they're not guarding the other team's best perimeter option. But um, so that also goes into like uh, that. That's well, while I was thinking about that, you bringing up the athleticism level of the guys that Myron Jones has gotten to match up with. I think that's completely reasonable. Um, it's, it's just also one of those things too, where I do wonder um, like Florida's defense last year ultimately was not very good. And for Myron Jones, he was not very good defensively um, was giving up a lot due to his lack of size and athleticism, but he's playing in a defensive structure that wasn't very good. So now that he's playing in a defensive structure that looks a lot tighter, I even wonder if like, yes, he'll be giving up athleticism and size still, but this Florida team right now for the last you know month and a half is playing much, much better defensive basketball than the Gators did all of last season. So if we're also looking for a possible positive, maybe it is that like, okay, he's still going to give up some of this, but, and again, part of it was because the Gators were playing these aggressive ball screen defenses, which either meant him having to chase over ball screens and, and push guys into screens. And that was, uh, he was just getting beat and rejected on screens all the time, or it was, Hey, you've got a tag or roller. And that was something he had to do all the time as a smaller guard. And then, you know, uh, trying to think of a big man in the SEC and just blanking right now, but you know, he'd, he'd be taking <laughs> a seven footer who would, you know, just bury him under the rim and get a wide open, easy layup. And again, that's something he doesn't have to do in Florida scheme, especially, you know, we're using pick and roll as an example here, but, uh, which we'll get into it, you know, when we do film study with our Patreons eventually. Get we'll go through all kinds of pick and roll defense. I'll tell you that much. But um, but yeah, so I do think I, so if we're looking for a positive for Myron Jones, which would help with your self-imposed ban, um, barring IRP um re-ruling, um, that hey, maybe it's just the better defense that'll help him out. Yeah, no, and that's a great point on the schematic like changes. I mean, that's that's actually I didn't think of that. Um, and so maybe maybe it will. Uh, I thought that everything in the Georgia game kind of getting back to that was really keyed by Florida's defense. You know, they Florida went on a, a seven and a half minute field goal drought. They then, um, you know, maybe that was an homage to Mike White. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> then they held Georgia without a field goal for six in the comeback. And by the way, during that period, uh, the revenge that Eric Fawcett and I have been waiting for for years on the podcast, um, you know, and, and Mike White is still is like he hammered Florida on one, like his blob plays are great, but his blob defense, like there was a, one game a year where somebody bounced the ball off a Florida player's butt and made a layup and we got our revenge, Eric. Finally got one, and man, it was uh, it was so sweet, and and ever it was one of those ones where just everyone everyone had the same the same idea. And I remember the first time that I I forget if I said it on the podcast first or if I tweeted it out, but I, at some point I, I think it was it the pod. It was the pod. I think it was a podcast, and then I tweeted it out as well, and I showed Florida's defense, and I said at some point someone is going to throw the ball off the backside of the inbounds defender and get a layup. <laughs> I did have, I will say, I had a assistant at another SEC school message me and say, thanks, linked to that tweet. So I do unfortunately <laughs> feel partially responsible for at least one of those instances. But um, yeah, again, like like just talking real again, we don't have to talk Mike White schematics. Maybe we're already dipping in too deep, but like, I, I just don't feel like the payoff is, is worth it. The, the penalty yes they're able to get out to some of those corner shooters off off staggers in a way that <clears throat> but i think you can do that without um 
Then you do that without completely turning your back. So, man, it was sweet. I'm very interested to know if uh, like I haven't watched Florida this year to see if they've see if it's happened or um, but whoever on Florida staff or if it was someone on Florida staff who's like, hey, we can throw it off the backside of this player or if it was just Kyle Lofton just hooping. I loved it. It was so sweet. Everyone had the same idea, much like when I said it on the podcast and tweeted it. And when it happened to Florida the first time, tons of people were tweeting it and saying like, see, we told you it was going to happen. Um, seeing everyone being like, oh, redemption. Um, that was very sweet. So thank you, Kyle Lofton. And thank you, anyone on Florida staff who uh, also made that happen. Any thoughts just generally on Kyle Lofton? I thought maybe, um, you know, I, I know I said on my quick take hot take that like, I feel like Kyle's played pretty well uh, in SEC play. Like if we're being honest, um, you know, he has one turnover in SEC play, Eric. One. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he had that, you know, laser beamed in a, a, a three that uh, didn't think was going to get to the rim. But it did. Those, <laughs> those shots, it's like, you know, the, the inverse of Myron Jones. Um, someone's got to superimpose the shots of the two of them and like see how much longer the ball is in the air for uh, uh, Myron Jones three <laughs> than uh, Kyle Lofton. But I mean, I kid, but hey, he was one for two and that's great. And um, he scored 18 points really efficiently and, and got to the free throw line had a couple assists without turning the ball over. So yeah, I, I, I thought he was good. And, and, and again, his ability to get into the paint while not being like extreme, like not being athletic is, is pretty amazing. Cause again, I made the kind of comparison to early Andrew Nemhart or really just Andrew Nemhart for his whole career at Florida and, and the way that he, teams just like played him kind of daring him to score because they knew he wasn't a pull-up threat. And uh, they also knew he was a passing threat. So they were just like, hey, try to score off the bounce. And like, we're seeing Kyle Lofton, who is similarly athletic to Andrew Nemhart. I, like, I don't know. We don't have to argue who's more athletic. Uh, Nemhart's, of course, a little bit longer. But anyway, we what I'm what I'm getting at is Andrew Nemhart was not able to regularly get to the rim and, and get layups right. against this style of defense. And Kyle Lofton is having games where he is. And I think that that's very impressive, particularly when he's playing guards that are more like, I would say Terry Roberts um, is athletic. I thought he was like, I, I put him into that category. Again, he's not Oquendo level athletic. It's not. Okay. Like that's fair. Um, um, like, like in the, in the, yeah, I would like, if we had to put yeah. him in uh, uh, somewhere on a spectrum, he still would be on the athletic side of the spectrum. Sure. For me. Um, but uh yeah, but like he's more athletic than Kyle Lofton. I think we can agree. <laughs> and Kyle Lofton yeah, is still able to yeah, get to for sure. Yeah, so Kyle Lofton is able to get to the rim on him. So, um, yeah, as much as we've had you know some issues, he's still having games like at times where like he keeps just getting to that right hand, getting to right-handed layups, which is like got to be maddening to opposing coaches of like how does this guy who's not a pull-up get all the way to the rim for a right-handed layup to his dominant hand? But he's doing it. So, um, hey, you love to see that. If he can have 18-point games where he's, you know, six for nine from the field or whatever he was, like, absolutely, that's that's good stuff. Yeah, and like I said, I mean, winning is hard. So if you're going to have a senior guard that um, is, you know, by far the best plus-minus player uh, on the floor and he happens to be your, you know, point guard, that's usually a good sign. He was plus 12. And, I mean, he's the guy who made the butt pass blob layup. And I thought he kind of keyed with Myron Jones. Um, and really those two guys kind of keyed Florida's big run in the second half where, you know, George is up 46 to 45. And before you know it, it's 56, 46 Florida. And yes, Georgia did get hot at the end of the game. They're making the most ridiculous three point shots. Um, most of them pretty well guarded, uh, you know, so 
that's going to happen. I mean, Georgia shot seven of 10 from deep in the second half and on quality shot, I saw that like three of those were considered quality looks. So, you know, sometimes you really do have to shake your head and Florida has defended the three uh, very well. I saw, was it Bart Torvik? Somebody tweeted today that, that Florida's SEC defense rank right now in conference play is one, um, which, you know, that is their rank, even though Georgia was seven of 10 from deep and shot like 46% in the second half, mostly because they got hot late, but it was that six minute scoring drought. That was the, that was the run that created the separation. And it really started with Florida's guards. Yeah, they were the they were the ones who were able to get things going um, offensively, but but still, it was just like points in a hurry from from steals, and 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 that's too where um, I thought Will Richard was 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 good. Um, had had some deflections, had some some kind of forced forced turnovers there, and and just with his pressure, kind of forcing bad passes, and then he was someone who was comfortable running. So um, good to see him. Also, yeah. you know, looking a little bit more like healthy. It's some. It's one of those. He's one of those guys that like last couple of games where he's playing badly or not badly, but not looking great, always defensively. And you're like, Oh man, is he, does he look injured? Then he has a game like that where he looks pretty good. And you wonder, Oh, it's like, Oh, is he back to being totally healthy? So, um, so that was, he was, he was definitely effective. And, and again, like you said, Myron Jones, um, yeah. Scoring at a fairly high level. I mean, um, Oh, this, this is a, a, a side tangent, um, <laughs> that I, I have never, uh, I've never done this, what I'm about to tell you um, up until this season, yet I have found myself doing it this year. And it is not out of disrespect to any of the TV broadcasters. I used to always think it was crazy that um, people would turn on the radio and try to match up the radio broadcast with, um, with TV. I was someone who just wanted the TV broadcast. I really like Sean Kelly. I think Sean Kelly was a hell of a hire. And I know trying to replace McHubert is a, you know, an impossible task or, you know, a very, that, that's a crazy one. And, you know, he's very, very different from Mick Hubert, but I love the Sean Kelly and, and, and Lee Humphrey radio broadcast. So I had this, so I, I had the radio broadcast on for this one, actually for my, I, I kind of switched between cause I, I kind of have like FOMO that I'm going to miss out on something on the TV broadcast. So I can't fully commit, but um, <laughs> so first of all, I'll just say, I don't know if you've caught one cause you're always like watching the games. Something possessed me to be like, I should just see how Sean Kelly is. And I thought he was awesome. I, I love him for basketball. Um, I didn't, I didn't say that just cause I, I don't, I didn't catch any of the football games on, on radio. So, um, yeah, I thought he's awesome. Lee Humphrey also does this thing where he, okay, this is actually the best thing. People need to know this happens cause it's the best part of the radio broadcast and is like actually worth, I swear to you flipping on the radio broadcast. Um, so after timeouts, or <clears throat> sorry, my throat's hurting after coaching a basketball game tonight. <laughs> um, so after timeouts, or I should say during timeouts, like Lee Humphrey, and I don't know if like teams know he does this, but he just like, he must just walk over to the, he must just like walk over to the huddles and listen. And he comes on the radio and says like, oh, this is, uh, this is what coach Golden just drew up. And he says what yeah. the after timeout play is. And I'm like, I'm kind of like shocked that it's allowed, but it's amazing. So like, honestly, even if you're watching on TV, you should throw on the radio broadcast just to see Lee Comfrey calling at like what he saw for them drawing up after timeout plays. So anyways, that's my long way of saying that the radio broadcast is excellent. Um, I think it's really good. And uh, what I was going to say is Sean Kelly mentioned on several occasions, pointed out well that um, Myron Jones has been a, a Georgia killer throughout his career. He has always played really well against Georgia. And once again, he has a game that's uh, pretty big time. And, and, you know, we were talking about his defense earlier. But he knocked down some shots. 
he uh from both of course we know the three-point line that uh is what it is with Myron Jones, but uh, he was also able to get into the paint a little bit. So what did you see from him, you know, offensively? You talked about him kind of helping fuel the run. Well, I mean, he just – he. Uh, I thought his passing um, continues to be good. He's also, like, pretty under control when he gets into the lane, which that's one thing he's done well for two years. Like, you know, his floater is sort of off two feet most of the time, if that makes sense. Um And, like, so I can deal with that a little more. But he also has, like, good eye control when he's in the lane. Like, he doesn't telegraph interior passes, which I think is super important Um, if you're a guard. Particularly when you, like, baseline drive like he does. Like, if you attack a closeout, like, a lot of times people can anticipate if you're going to try to hit a shooter. And he doesn't really allow that to happen. Um, So, you know, some of it was his passing. And then also he's not forcing anything, you know. I don't think he – I think for whatever reason, coaching, that he's a smart kid, which we've always been complimentary of, you know, since SEC play started. So just in this four-game span, I don't think he's taken bad shots. Or if he has, uh, it's been very rare. Like, there doesn't seem to be like, I need to get a shot up to see if I make it three. Um. So just let the game come to him. And I think that's good. And, and by the way, on the Sean Kelly point, uh, yeah, I mean, well, he was the voice of the Pelicans for people who don't know. So I think Uh, that, I think that helps. Like I caught some football, like bits and pieces, right? Like it would be like some of this third quarter or some, and I think, you know, it was always going to be harder for him to step in and replace Mick from a football basis of the, and in the fan, mind and psyche um but i'm really enjoying him on play-by-play when i've heard him in basketball like i just think he's terrific um and lee and him i think have a better rapport than mick and lee did because um honestly (laughs) because sean understands basketball probably a little better and so you know it's easier for lee to kind of talk to somebody that knows the game a little bit like he does uh, so I don't know. It is really good. Highly recommend it. Um, and I highly recommend Myron Jones to keep playing the way he's playing right now. And I also highly recommend more Will Richard minutes at the four. He's played his most minutes at the four at Florida in his last two games. And uh, I think good things are happening because his hands are just so active defensively. And what's happening is him at the four is creating these steals, which have led to some runouts. Yeah, I've got to say, like, again, if I wanted to, you know, poke fun at our good friend, you know, Malik Grady, who when we first got um, Will Richard and and he was, you know, had him enlisted as as a two as a shooting guard in his depth charts, he was tweeting out. And I was just like, well, just so you know, this guy was a power forward at, uh, uh, you know, at Belmont, like. You know, I, uh, which I didn't actually think he would end up playing much for here. <laughs> right. And part of that, and and part of that is because um, Todd Golden was pursuing so many big men in the portal. You know, he's like like playing two bigs at San Francisco. So I, that was part of it. But you know, if I if I did want to joke about it, I and and and, and argue in in bad faith, I'd say, see, I, I told you that he was a four. Um, but again, this is like <laughs> what he's was uh, he's used to guarding fours um, for sure. That's what he did at Belmont most of the time. Um, so you can just see too when they try to put him in screen and roll, even when he's not switching, he does well to guard those actions. And like you said, he's got that length that uh, while it's not always going to make up for pure like bulk, um, there is times when it comes to 
recovering on a pick and roll and having your hands up that covering up passing lanes that that length is still like pretty good so i I, i'm still like interested like i i don't know if i if i like the idea of him at, at the four a lot um, but in, in some stretches, yeah, it's, it's worked. And I, I wonder too, talking about athleticism with, um, people that Myron Jones matched up with, I'd be interested to see some of these power forwards that will Richard would have to match up with from a size standpoint. Um, but Hey, we'll see the Gators are, of course it, it worked with them out there at the four. They're doing good things defensively. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's working. And uh, again, that also makes things uh, pretty interesting on the wing rotation because you like know Will Richard's going to be on the floor a ton. So if he's there at the four, it also opens up some minutes at, uh, at the wings to like get a little more Kwesi Reeves, which we're starting to see more of, maybe a little more of what we expected. Um, and of course, um, you know, still with the Trey Bonham, Kyle Lofton, and, and uh, hey, another player that we'll probably get into a little more talking about, um, LSU, which maybe we'll transition to now or, or shortly would be Riley Cooper. Yeah. So it certainly helps if if Richard is at the four, it certainly makes it that Golden is able to get more of the guys on the floor that, that he wants, it, it seems. Yeah, for sure. I think it's, it's definitely helpful, and that is a good place to transition um, to the LSU game where Florida got off to a really slow start again. Um, and so like this was an interesting one because I did not listen to the radio I listened to the TV broadcast and Damian Fishback uh, and Mike Morgan which is a whole experience because Mike Morgan is awesome and Damian Fishback is Damian Fishback and so um, <laughs> Fishback was saying how he really likes the stuff that Florida runs and like I thought Florida's plan in the first half was atrocious. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what they were doing. Uh, you know, I don't know if it was that LSU just dared them to shoot or that Florida just forgot that they had really run their offense through Kyle Colin Castleton all season and that they are best when they cook inside a little bit uh, and don't take threes. You know, they got a guy in Kowasi Reeves who's shooting about 58% Eric on his two pointers. Um, which is like for perspective. So like his volume on twos is pretty good. And Terquavion Smith, who was a guy I wrote about um, at Saturday road at NC state shoots. I mean, he's a volume shooter. Like we're talking like Brad Veal wizards volume. Right. Um, but Terquavion is like 16% lower on his twos than Kowasi attacking closeouts and driving. <laughs> um, and you know, I mean, yes, Smith is taking more shots. But the point being, like, Florida should just be, like, taking two-pointers at the basket. There should never be a circumstance where an announcer says, I think Florida runs good stuff in a half where they've shot 17 three-pointers um, and made three of them. And I thought the two there was a two-minute and 30-segment where Florida did not score in, in the first half that, that really drove home the point to me. Um, one of – one of the shots was uh, a Kowasi Reeves. They're all Kowasi Reeves shots. So I get it. Like they want him to shoot more because he's Florida's best shooter. But so one of his shot was a bad transition, quick three that was guarded to tie the game uh, that he missed. And then on the very next possession, he airballed a three uh, long. And then on another possession, he took a quick three down five points um, because, you know, naturally on the two previous possessions, LSU had quickly scored 
going the other direction. And that was around the time where Damian Fishback said, they got to make shots, but I think they run good stuff. Um, I'm not here to bury Damian Fishback, I promise. But, like, I just didn't understand Florida's offensive plan in the first half. And I thought the Gators, uh, who also had five turnovers in the first five minutes of the game, um, were very fortunate to kind of not get run out of the building on the road. Oh, two things. <clears throat> so I, I, they're kind of related. Um, so again, um, during that point of the broadcast, I had the radio on going back to the radio point. So, uh, you know, our right, what is seeming to be a regular Jake Winterman shout, shouted on the podcast. So he and one other person also messaged me. They're like, did Fishback just say that we run good stuff? Like, does he not know where we are in Ken Palm offense? And uh, <laughs> so you were not the only one to be like, to, to, to be like caught off guard by that one. Um, there was also a, again, going back to the radio, a legendary, well, I shouldn't say that. I really only started listening to games on the radio this year, but what it's I was a, leg- a legendary moment where when Quasi Reeves missed that last three, Lee Humphrey was just openly, of course, all time, great shooter. One of the, one of college basketball's best said, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm going to have to excuse myself. And literally was silent on the broadcast for like three minutes as Sean Kelly did play by play with no color insertions. And then when and, and then and then when he came back, Sean Kelly was like, Hey Lee, are you like you, you know, you ready to get back to the game? And like very softly, Lee was like, Yes, I think I can get back to this game. So I I'm sure it was a bit, but it was hilarious. It absolutely landed. I was in the perfect. I thought it was funny. I, I hate seeing <laughs> hate seeing our guy Kwesi struggle. Um, we are big fans of of his, and and there was times, especially last year, where we wanted him taking some of those tough shots because the offense was so bad. And you know, right now the offense is so bad. There was a couple of the early ones. I'm like, well, you know what? If Florida is getting through their progressions, I still don't know if they're going to get a good shot. So if you know Kwesi Reeves can get one off clean, I almost didn't mind some of them, but yeah, I think ultimately there was a couple that he just shouldn't be taking. And I almost wonder how much of that and, and even um, maybe some of the other players, poor shots at times, like, like I, I do wonder at times if these players don't trust the offense, like if these players know that like, Hey, we're not getting like, we're not getting good stuff. So I better just put one up. And I don't know if that's the case, but I know that happens at, at times when players don't trust the offense, they're more likely to take a bad shot or freelance. And, you know, talking about Florida's plan again, we are starting to see a little bit less continuity ball screen, which has proven itself to not work. And, yep. you know, it's still nice to see, like it wasn't yielding good stuff, but like, man, the pin down into a dribble handoff is still one of the hardest things in basketball to guard. And we saw that from the Gators. Um, so it was a little bit, throw it to that trail big and, and get into some actions on, um, on the second side. And again, if, I, I I did think the Gators were starting to run better stuff. Maybe Fishback was, you know, maybe he was onto something um, because I do think like it was better than what we're seeing, but it still was not executed well at all. It lacked flow. Um, man, the Gators were able to just bet- between their offensive performance and then playing just tremendous defense on the other side of the floor. They sucked every bit of energy out of that building um, in Baton Rouge, um, which is great when you're the road team for sure. Um, but uh yeah, it's uh, they're it's it's one of those things right now that like the results are just speaking for themselves. Whether it's raw point totals or analytics based on their half court offense right. or their Ken Palm number, um, the the offense is 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 what it is. So I think you, uh, yeah, it's it's fair to say that yeah, in the first half, um, really this you know whole game, the offense was was still not humming. But man, that defense was uh, that defense was clamping down. 
Yeah, man, it was really good. And you know what? The other thing was in the first half, Florida gave up 13 second chance points. Mm. Um, so they were kind of getting pushed around a little bit on the glass uh, again. Um, they only gave up six uh, in the second half. So really cleaned that up, even though LSU was attacking the glass pretty aggressively, obviously, behind as they were behind. Um, and then the turn. That's a defensive identity. You also need to kind of not turn the ball over and allow that to lead to easy points. Um, because you can't necessarily get – when you score in your half-court offense, if you're Florida, something has gone well. <laughs> um, and, and Florida gets nice transition, and Florida's transition offense is very good because they're athletic and talented. Um so, you know, Florida's still getting transition buckets in almost all their SEC games, Eric. And I thought just eliminating those turnovers. I mean, when you start with five and five minutes and you finish with five for the next 35 minutes, you know, that's a good formula for success when you're defending the way uh, the Gators were. So, you know, huge credit to Florida for that and for the adjustments that they made, I thought, at, at halftime. One of the biggest adjustments and, and a guy I think we really need to get into a little bit uh, is Riley Kugel a plus 21 on his uh, plus tw- plus minus, so the highest in the in the in the game. And look, there's some growing pains. I mean, I think you know, he took a terrible three in the first half. He took a 19 foot two that was also guarded that uh, Todd Golden yanked him right after. <laughs> um, so which I loved, by the way. I mean, you know, hey, Riley, don't come in and take a 19 foot two, sit down. Um, you know, but just a spectacular second half. Um, and I thought a very big difference maker for Florida in this game. Um, oh, I forget his exact wording. Um, I won't open Twitter cause then I'll get distracted by something, but Will Miles from, uh, um, from Gators breakdown messaged something to me. And I don't remember his exact phrasing, but he was just, he <laughs> said, so, he said something along the lines of just like Riley Kugel looks like different than anyone out there. And he looks different than anyone the Gators have had on their roster the last couple of years. Yeah. And it's just going to go back to something I just always say on the podcast. We'll continue to say, if you're going to win at the highest level, you need NBA talent. And um, Riley Kugel is an NBA talent. Again, we always throw the asterisks of like, we're not saying he's for sure an NBA player, but like NBA athleticism, length, size, like the, the kind of energy level tenacity like he is like an nba kind of guy and that's what you need to win and i was kind of and uh of course i so i was kind of explaining that to, to to will that i'm like you're right and these are the type of guys that florida hasn't had but the guys that they needed to have and need to keep continuing to get and i said this is kind of how you win at the high major level to which he responded with a football joke that i will not uh you know repeat but you can uh when when talking about needing uh top level athletes to to, to win and uh, you can probably make some you know draw some, draw some <laughs> conclusions to a football related joke he might have made but uh um yeah and and i think that that's just really it like this was one of those like georgia was one of the games too where like not to take away from like any of the coaching or scheme but like I really felt like the Gators out-talented Georgia. And I also really felt like they out-talented LSU. And again, this is an LSU team that's like got several guys that were brought over from Murray State, um, which again was a really good team that finished higher than the Gators in Ken Palm and obviously went to the tournaments and won a game. So like not trying to just dis- don't want to disrespect anything of that. But yeah, I would say that some of the guys are not, or there are guys that um, were at 
other high major teams and couldn't get on the floor and then transferred there. So like, I do think the Gators generally kind of overwhelmed with talent and athleticism in this one as well, even though the offense wasn't great. And uh, again, just with like Riley Kugel out there, like even like the way he, like some of the rebounds he got were just like comical. Cause it's just like him being around big men on LSU, but he's, while he's not as tall, he was more athletic. And uh, yeah, it just, that was one of those reminders to me. And, you know, Will Miles, who pointed it out and noticed it, was just like, man, this guy's different. And I'm like, yeah, this is this is what you need. You need these guys that are NBA level guys. And Riley Kugel, while there are definitely growing pains, like you mentioned, there's still moments where it's like, yep, yeah, this, uh, this is what you need to win in, in 2023. There's no question. Yeah, like, so one of his ridiculous rebounds came like after he made a, rather silly drive where he like split two defenders and had a chance for a layup and then missed the layup. And then LSU had two bodies, one of which was Derek Fountain uh, underneath and Kugel just after having just gone up for the layup, like came down and just vertical leaped to get the putback at two points. And it was just kind of like one of these plays, like he had some breathtaking dunks against Georgia and I didn't even think those were like his most spectacular play in the Georgia game. His best play to me was a drive where he just took Terry Roberts to the hole and made a layup. And so I tweeted something about, I had mentioned on the show with Rocco that I thought Kugel was a guy that Florida might eventually be able to rely on late in games. And then I tweeted something this game that said, you know, he started to give me these sort of Moses Moody vibes where he looks different than other people on the floor. And he's just looks like, physical kind of rugged guard like Moses Moody was um, for Arkansas. And, and I say that understanding that Riley's bigger than, than Moody weight wise too. Um, but so it was funny cause I tweeted that out and then Sam Pacini from uh, the athletic <laughs> DMs me and says, yeah, man, that guy's like a Moody clone. Although mm-hmm. maybe he'll stay in school for an extra year. Cause Moses should have. And, um, you know, I guess that's some sort of reference to Moody struggling a little with Golden State right now. But, uh, you know, 20-year-olds sometimes struggle, so uh, in the NBA. Um, But, yeah, Riley is cut different. And I think a guy that uh, can give this team that needs an offensive lift uh, that lift. And then the other great thing is he seems to be a pretty good free throw shooter because he's getting fouled a lot, which is what happens with NBA players playing college basketball. Yeah. And it's, it's just like one of those things where, and again, I was going to kind of ask you about this and, and we'll, we'll, we'll see your, your thoughts. We'll just transition to it now. Like I was going to ask, like as the Gators have established this identity of, of defense, like how much do you think that they should just like 100% steer into that? And like, I would say functionally, that would be like, do you get more Felder than, Alex Fudge. I I well, again, we can talk about Alex Fudge's defense because he, you know, grades out well. I think he's a good defensive player and was but um I still think like a lot of the lineups with Felder have been better defensively. Um it could of course mean getting Niles Lane into the lineup, but it could also mean like, oh, do we see like maybe it's less Trey Bonham and more Riley Kugel and more lineups that are like Riley Kugel, um, Kwesi Reeves, Will Richard just get like max length out there. Um, and maybe that's, of course, the natural inclination would be that's the two, three, and four, but maybe that turns into the one, two, and three with an Alex Fudge. Of the, like, I, I, I just wonder, like, how much the Gators should uh, just completely steer into, like, hey, the offense is bad. We know it's probably going to be bad. So we're going to put as many athletes on the, on the floor as possible. And 
make this game, you know, physical and we're going to get runouts when we have the opportunity because we have Riley Kugel on the floor and we're going to get offense rebounds because we have all these athletes such as Riley Kugel on the floor. And I just want, I just wonder how much like the Gators. So this is like an overall thought that I'm going to ask you for. And also as it relates to Riley Kugel, how much do you think the Gators should just like go into like, we are going to play, we're going to make the game very, very ugly and how much that could, uh, you know, affect how much Riley Kugel gets, uh, gets key minutes. So the two, like, um, I guess the two points I would make to that are, yeah, I think they should lean into it. Um, and I want your longer athletic, more athletic players on the floor because I thought we saw the benefit. Like Kyle Lofton is not long, but he's sort of a steel artist. We talked about that when he transferred here. Um, and a couple of his pilfers like led to points. Um, but some of the other guys, you know, you have Will Richard, you have Alex Fudge, you have Riley Kugel. Um all of them, their hands were just so active. Shoot, Myron Jones had active hands in that game. And a lot of that led to sort of Florida's transition activity, Eric. So, you know, I think the more athletic you are, the better chances you can get the tips and get easy baskets. And Florida needs easy baskets, right? And then I just think, um, you know, secondarily, like, of course, I'd love to see Niles Lane play for, for those reasons. Um, but, I mean, right now, Florida's defense is so good that a guy like Trey Bonham's going to get his 15 to 20 minutes a game. Cause you still have to have dudes out there that can score. So is there like a fine balance then? Yeah, maybe, but I would definitely lean into it. And you know, what was cool was that it seems like Florida maybe is a little bit. And I don't know if this was just about the matchup or what, but Florida had what LSU and Matt McMahon do scouted really well. But, you know, we talked about how Florida has been sort of simplistic and conservative defensively. In, in the most positive way, right? Um, but then they came out against LSU and switched a ton. And, like, they did it really well for a team that doesn't do that. Yeah, I thought it was, like, uh, I think it definitely with the way that LSU has used um, K.J. Williams, who's just been an awesome shooting big man who also gets it done down low, switching some of those actions to kind of take away the threat of that pick and pop was was really effective. So I thought that was really good. And like you said, for a team that doesn't do it a lot, um, to say like, hey, let's switch a bunch so that uh, we don't give up these pick and pop threes to a really good shooter, that worked really well. So um, good defensive game plan for sure. Um, that was pretty good. And, and the other thing with Bonham, who I know has had not his best basketball games, like I'm not looking at just like, oh, he's had a couple of bad games. Let's see less of him when I say yeah, maybe the right. Gators should lean into that. But honestly, one of the things that could be a benefit is like, I think we need more lineups where Trey Bonham is the true point guard, not next to Kyle Lofton. And then maybe if he is, maybe if he does get pushed to the bench or plays less minutes because the Gators want to go more wing heavy, maybe when he does come into the game, it's more at the point guard minutes. And I think that that could be very good for Trey Bonham and the team. So, um, yeah, it's and again, it's that's a seems an ongoing thing as the Gators, you know, find rotations and and what's going to work. But um, again, they just won two games because of their defense, and uh, the offense is still a struggle. Um, looking at since uh, the updated number um, on Bart Torvik, um, since of the like Florida's adjusted offensive and defensive efficiency numbers since uh, I think I threw in November thirtieth. Um, so just after Thanksgiving, so the Gators are ninth in the country in in defense, um, which is amazing, and they are 154th in offense, um, and that's a number that I would say matches our feel, eye test, all of that, and uh, 
you know, is there room for that number offensively to get better? Like, absolutely. I think this team has good offensive players. So like, yes, something could get figured out, but again, we're halfway through the season where they've never really had success offensively with much wondering, you know, what's next. So it's, it's just one of those things where I just wonder if they like say, Hey, we are going to be the defense. Like we're going to make this thing ugly. We're going to take pride in playing ugly and making the game a defensive grind. And um, Hey, they certainly showed a lot of effort um, and a lot of energy doing that on LSU at the road on the road. So like, Hey, maybe that's something this team can kind of, you know, rally behind. It's going to be interesting to see for sure. Yeah. Well, speaking of the, the bottom point, I think it, it, him playing point guard minutes is a great one. And it kind of leads me to the one trouble area in this LSU game that I saw other than the first half shot selection. And I wasn't sure what the real plan was offensively in the first half, by the way, dude, KJ Williams was in the OVC. Like that's just unfair. Cruel. I, I wish Seriously, I wish I had watched more Murray games last year just to see what that looked like more. I mean, because that guy is just ferocious. Um, Fishback did have one great one-liner the other night, which was like, I don't know. He said something about KJ Williams like would look the same like if it was a national like disaster or like if LSU was winning the national title. Like it's like his his facial expression and intensity doesn't change, um, and it was pretty funny. And I was like, man, I can't imagine what what it was like having that dude in the OVC. Like, I get why they won thirty one games last year, um, but getting back to Bonham, so LSU Matt McMahon switched to a one three one, and Florida's defense saved Florida because Florida had this like four minute scoring drought against the one three one and three and a half of those minutes were with Myron Jones uh, at the point guard while Todd Golden tried to steal Kyle Lofton some rest. And like, I was begging and pleading my television to like include Trey Bonham sitting at the scorer's table. But alas, it did not occur. Well, so I guess two questions for you, Eric. Does that kind of what you're talking about where we've got to have these Bonham minutes and then two, like maybe two, tell listeners how to attack a one, three, one, because um, yeah, the Gators seem confused. Yeah. It's like I've said on the podcast before and I will again, like I kind of just think, feel like in my opinion, um, uh, like all like 40 minutes at point card should be distributed between Kyle Lofton and Trey Bonham. It's clear that the staff feels differently because it's Bonham playing off the ball to start. And usually Myron Jones, you know, getting point guard minutes when he's on the floor. And of course, like you mentioned, sometimes Trey Bottom not and Kyle Lofton not being on the floor. Um, so it's clear that, you know, they don't feel like all the point guard minutes should go between those two. But um, it's something that I, I that's what I would like to see. And, and yeah, in terms of one through one, yeah, it's so, so tough to prepare for um, when you uh, or so tough to play against when you haven't prepared for. But the, the kind of prototypical way to do it is to go in like a dice look, it's called, where you have a player in the high post and then corner, corner and then like high quad, high quad. So it kind of looks like the five on a dice, two, one, two, um, which is like really you know, four guys being in the spaces that the one, three, one kind of isn't guarding. And then you just put one guy in the middle to occupy the middle of that one, three, one, just so that he can't really extend totally. Um, and then often, often the, uh, the move is to try to overload a one, three, one. Um, so when the ball goes to one side of the floor, 
uh, having the player who is in the middle of that dice look, you know, you can keep him there or you can more prototypically dive him down towards the hoop where the opposite corner will then flash to the high post. And then in a defense that's just, you know, very high, um, you get, you, you overload it with a lot of bodies to one side. So I'd say that's like the, probably the most common look against a one, three, one again, because it's common, it's, um, teams often see it there and then of course there's lots of opportunities for like backdoor lobs for your your alex fudges of the world against the one three one because again kind of um against what you might first think the you always have your biggest guy in the middle of the one three one i shouldn't say always almost all the time um you have your biggest guy in the middle of the one three one and then your second longest guy at the top of the one three one then you actually have your smallest player underneath the hoop because that player is responsible for guarding both corners so he needs to be fast um and then when the ball goes to the corner, the one, three, one looks like kind of shifts and looks like a two, three zone. Um, so it's not like that player under the hoop is like really guarding under the hoop very often. But of course, if you get a seal or uh, something back door, um, you're not reached with a lot of resistance. So, so yeah, the overload look is, is, is usually one to go to, but um, again, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things that like you can drop a whole lot of nice things against a one, three, one. But then when you see that length kind of in, in person, it can be, uh, it can be frustrating and, and, and flummoxing. It's not, you definitely don't see it as much as two, three zone. Um, I feel like it's becoming more popular recently in college basketball, but like, I wouldn't be surprised if like matchup zone and three, two zone would be still more used than one, three, one. So right. it's a bit of a frustrating one to, uh, to prepare for. Cause you sometimes don't see it at all. And then, yeah, you get thrown in, uh, with a, uh, you know, three or four minutes and, uh, you might struggle. So, um, it's nice, nice, uh, for a coach like McMahon to have in his, in his back pocket, you might be able to steal three or four minutes. Yeah, they did. And, and kind of kept themselves in the game that way with Florida's defense. In the end, ultimately too much. We didn't really even talk about Colin Castleton on this podcast, and I think that's probably a positive thing. Uh, But I have to shout out Colin for making 12 of his 15 free throws uh, in a road game. I mean, what a luxury to have a big that that is that effective at the free throw line generally. And he's worked on it, man. I mean, remember his uh, NCAA tournament season, you know, it was hit or miss. (laughs) quite literally free throw line and and he's turned himself into a a reliable guy there eric and and they'll need every bit of that reliability uh against missouri speaking of three two zone um Mm. the zone du jour of of dennis gates and the worst defense in the sec about 20 percent of possessions that they're in the three two that's when they really need stops they switch to zone i guess um (laughs) Their, their man defense is not great. Uh, the flip side of that is there wasn't really a basketball team in the country that was playing better than them um, in the month of December. I mean, they absolutely spanked Illinois, who, it, speaking of talented teams, um, and they beat, I think, a very good UCF team uh, in the Orange Bowl Classic, Eric. Uh, so that was the win that preceded that. Um, and then, you know, Kentucky before we all realize that like something is afoot in Lexington. Um, but maybe Missouri was the team that officially broke Kentucky. Like who knows? They have lost two or three. They got hammered tonight um, in college station. And I should add that they haven't won a road game this season. Uh, so, you know, a, a really interesting opportunity for Florida and a quad one opportunity. Yeah, like Missouri start has been great. I think that uh, I think it's been overrated a little bit. Again, it was like they played a bunch of 
really bad teams in the non-conference at home rattled off, you know, nine or 10 wins or whatever it was. And suddenly it's like, wow, like what an incredible coach hire and wow, what an incredible turnaround. And it's like, okay, like maybe, but like they didn't beat anyone higher than like a hundred and like 70th in Ken Palm. Um, so, you know, that the two best teams they played are, are Kansas. They got blasted. Um, and then Arkansas who they lost to, you know, but played well. So, um, again, but like you said, they got wins over Kentucky convincingly, um, beat Illinois very convincingly. Um, so they've got good wins. Um, they earned a couple good wins now, but, um, uh, to, to back up a little bit about what Neil was saying too, like 175th right now in Ken Palm's adjusted defensive efficiency. Um, that's crazy. Um, and they're, but they're third in offense and have been number one for a lot of weeks. So their offense has been really good and, and they play some, I, I tweeted it out, um, just to maybe a week or two ago, maybe I'll retweet it, but, um, yeah, they play some pretty traditional kind of Princeton mixed in with, with, uh, uh, some of that, like five out delay stuff that's like Princeton modernized. Um, but yeah, they throw it into this like trail big and, and then run some split cuts and, and run some really good action out of it. So, um, they are pretty like set reliant, which is, can be something that is, uh, um, again, like they get it to these, you know, these post splits that can be tough to guard even when you know what's coming, but this is one of that the Gators should, especially with a longer prep because of playing on Tuesday. Um, I hope should be pretty prepared for it. And, um, going back to the defense or I guess kind of combining the offense and defense, like the way that this roster is built is it's like a horizon league all-star team, a bunch of guys that, um, <laughs> that were taken over from, um, uh, uh, from with like from Dennis Gates and his, his, his time at Cleveland state. So, um, again, it's like, you know, Deandre Goulston and, and Demoy Hodge and Trago million, like a bunch of guys that are like old horizon league guys who are like grizzled, tough, smart, uh, but not athletic and not long. And, uh, I think, you know, Noah Carter, a player who plays some minutes for them. He was someone that the Gators, you know, contact in the portal. I was not a big fan of him. I did not want the Gators to pursue him. He ended up going to Missouri, which I actually think is smart for them because um, Noah Carter played at Northern Iowa. They played Princeton. And uh, now that, you know, clearly Dennis Gates probably knew that he was going to play Princeton. So he's like, oh, let's get the five man who's a really good passer in that offense. Um, but he's like a six foot five center, like not athletic, just should be punished, should be attacked every time he's on the floor by the Gators. Um, and then one kind of interesting storyline as well is like, I, and I don't know if anything's actually come out about this. Maybe you've heard Neil, but like the big name in their transfer portal class was Isaiah Mosley, who scored a million points at Missouri state. And like, he's been struggling to get on the floor. Um, and I, again, I didn't know if it like came out that it, maybe there's like injury related, but like, even like when they, he was playing multiple games in a row, he was like, you know, not playing many minutes, only playing in garbage time. So like this, like six foot five, big time scoring guard can shoot the basketball, like good player, um, has really not worked out for them yet. They're still, you know, a successful basketball team. So, uh, this is a definitely a fascinating one. Very different um, than the teams that the Gators have just played. Um, preparing for this kind of Princeton stuff will be interesting. And uh, playing a team that uh, is pretty poor defensively could be just what the doctor ordered for uh, the Gators who have struggled to score. Yeah, no, it should be an electric environment. Um, sellout. So good for people. Martin Luther King weekend. You know, it's nice to hear that the word sellout associated with Florida basketball. Um, especially when it's not like Kentucky or Tennessee or somebody like that. That's great. Um, yeah, I mean, Isaiah Mosley, a, a 50% field goal shooter, 40% from three, 90% at the free throw line last year. That's that's hard to do. Uh, <laughs> those three numbers are pretty hard to do. Hasn't played since the Orange Bowl Classic. 
And I heard on the field of 68 podcast, Rob Duster say like the biggest mysteries in college basketball right now are like the where's Waldo of like John Hugley at Pitt and um, Isaiah Mosley at Missouri, like two guys that were all conference selections in the preseason that just like haven't played in a month. Like, I don't know what's going on there. You know? So the point I would make about Eric has hit kind of on the, you know, X's and O's like, like he does well and how they run really unique stuff. I just retweeted his tweet as, as we were um, podcasting, what I would say um, about them, about Missouri that, you know, we often hear Eric in modern basketball. Oh, that they've got a bunch of guys that can guard one to five and that makes them good defensively. Well, that's not the case with Missouri, but what it does do, I think is like make them good offensively. Like that you can still, if you have a bunch of guys who are kind of can play one through five, um, it, you become a little bit interchangeable on offense, right? So you really better guard the three point line because everybody they have on the floor can shoot. And I think it's, it's really benefited. The guy it's benefited the most is Kobe Brown, who was um, second team all SEC last year. He was left off the preseason all SEC team uh, in favor of Mosley. Uh, he had just, an absolutely stupid game against Illinois where he dropped 34 points. Um, and then he followed it up with like 26 against Kentucky or something like that. Uh, just an absolute monster um, this season. And he's shooting a career high percentage uh, from three. He's a good enough ball handler to kind of drive and initiate offense. Um, he's not going to like bring the ball up or anything, but he is really, really a terrific player, Eric. Yeah. There's some pieces that, that, uh, you, you know, definitely like, and, and there's a reason that, uh, they've, you know, a <laughs> ranked basketball team. And, and again, that's something that I would not have predicted personally. Again, I still think that there was a little bit of like, you know, okay, let's like wait until they, you know, play someone after there was a lot of love for them beating a bunch of, of, of teams that were, you know, outside the 150 mark in, in, in Ken Palm. But um, yeah, they've, they've, they found this, these, these lineups that, that can really score. I, I just like, we're starting to get to the point where I'm starting to like cautiously have some, some really good trust that the Gators are going to continue to defend well, um, even when playing these teams that are really good offensively. Um, this is just going to be a big test for, you know, can the Gators get something going with ha- with their half court offense? They're, this is you know, this is a team they're just going to be more. They're going to have a step on in terms of speed at like pretty much every position on the floor. They're going to have size. They're going to have athleticism. You would just love to see this team score, and that's one thing that was like again like one kind of final thought about LSU is that was a little bit unfortunate about even just like the way the Gators have played is like the Gators dispatched. LSU on the road rather comfortably ultimately and it still kind of felt like not very good and almost like you had to you know sigh of relief at the end because it was just such a rock fight because of how tough it was for the Gators to get anything going offensively and as much as we talked about hey would you like to see the Gators you know fully commit to uh just playing this defensive brand of basketball and grinding out games you know if they, you know, if they string together some of those wins, then like, okay, we can start to, you know, talk about the team that way. Like they're like old school, like West Virginia or something. Um, but right now there is still just like, there's something about that, like inability to create in the half court that just like, still just like makes you scared. And when they, even when they come out with a win against LSU, you're still kind of like, oh man, like I didn't even realize that they just like won by double digits on the road. 
Um, so I think that like, again, I'm not saying that the Gators need to go and win this game by double digits to feel good because Missouri is 38th in Ken Palm. They're ranked. Um, they, they're going to be favored to win this game. Um, actually, I don't know if they will with the game being in, in it might be, you know, yeah, whatever. Um, so I'm not saying the Gators, you know, need to win this one convincingly, but like, it's it's you just want to see them still get something going here offensively and against a team that has struggled so mightily um, to guard. Um, this is what the Gators like hopefully need. Yeah. And so like, here's the thing about the struggle in the guard that I will kind of last point I'll make on Missouri is that, you know, um, and I think it's important to talk about as long as Dennis Gates is there, he is uh, his mentor is Leonard Hamilton. Um, they play. 10 guys, 10 minutes or more like Leonard Hamilton. Um, and, you know, Gates was Leonard's offensive coordinator, uh, which probably explains a little bit of both FSU's offensive drop off since Dennis left and sort of why, you know, Dennis Gates knows offense. I mean, they're a very good offensive basketball team. What he seems to have taken from Florida state is that they love the trap. Um, they try to deny ball reversals. Um, they will literally trap out of zones, Eric. <laughs> um, so they do some strange things. Uh, and I think um, they also like to press a little bit. Um, but once you get your offense set, they don't guard very well in the half court. So the teams that have dissected them, Kansas, uh, Texas A&M tonight, um, have not turned the ball over. So, Florida really needs to trust Kyle Lofton in this game and not be the 20 turnovers at home version that we saw against Texas A&M. Because if you do that against a Missouri team that, by the way, I'm not just saying that they do this stuff for my health. They're number one in the country in steals. Um, like that's that their version of defense is we are going to get a steal or turn you over. But if we don't do that, you're probably going to score. Um and so Florida, you know, don't turn the ball over. Don't give them easy buckets. And I think Florida will have a very good chance to win this game on Saturday, Eric. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I'm really interested to see, like, I like watching Missouri play offense. So it'll be interesting to see that um, see that style against Florida's defense, see how Florida guards some of these splits. That'll be interesting to see. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, one of those games that, like, um, again, we were talking about how we wanted to see the Gators get a top – Hundred Ken Palm win, and that was kind of uh, kind of sad to say, but that was a a, a marker. Um, that was a uh, uh, an improvement. Um, now they've got a chance at a top fifty win, and you get a top fifty win, even though it's not you know it's the thirty eighth team in Ken Palm. Um, and and hey, as much as you know, we can argue what they should be, or should or shouldn't be ranked in the AP poll. Beating a ranked team always good, especially for you know people who are casual fans to see the Gators beat a ranked team would be big. So. Uh, Hey, if we start to look at, hey, the Gators have three wins in a row, that would be, uh, that'd be, that'd feel nice for us people, uh, all, all fans, and especially us who have to podcast about the team as well. So looking forward to this one. And uh, I'm glad you're going to be in the building for it. Yeah, no, looking forward to getting down there, um, checking things out. It's Zach Tech Arena, Todd Goldnera, my debut uh, in terms of Gainesville games. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, it's not a real disappointment. Should have had that game like the Jumpman game. So um, we will see how things go. I will sign us off tonight. Go Gators. Keep attacking closeouts.